When I was younger, the phrase, news you can use, became quite popular in television journalism. I'm not entirely sure what that was intended to convey, but I can state that much of what appears in the editions of Charlottesville Community Engagement can be described as information I want to know. I'm Sean Tubbs, and I sincerely hope you can use some of this material. On today's program, no one speaks at two city council public hearings related to the development code held on a Thursday, a broad overview of what's been happening at the General Assembly, and Charlottesville City Council is briefed on a potential revenue gap for the next fiscal year due to previously made decisions to increase pay for city employees. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, Charlottesville Community Bikes wants you to join them for their annual Valentine's Day fundraiser, Bake and Bike. On Wednesday, February 14th, costumed bike couriers will deliver pre-ordered bags of scones all around Charlottesville. Bags will include six scones, chocolate chip and cranberry, baked and packaged by Sweet Holly's Desserts, and you can add a personalized note for the recipient. Deliveries will be made from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. If you live outside the delivery area, you can also pre-order scones and pick them up at Community Bikes on Wednesday, February 14th. They are limited to 160 bags of scones, so order as soon as you can. Visit charlottesvillecommunitybikes.org to learn more. The Charlottesville City Council adopted several items at their meeting last night, including the second reading of a $4 million purchase of property owned by the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority at 405 Avon Street. But for now, let's head back to the February 1st special meeting of the council, where two public hearings were held. These are usually held on Mondays in city council chambers, but these public hearings were held on a Thursday in city space. The official public notice was published in the January 18, 2024 Daily Progress. A subscription is not required to review those online. The first public hearing was on an updated fee schedule for city review of land use applications. Missy Creasy is the deputy director of the Department of Neighborhood Development Services. We're bringing this forward because we have this new zoning code that you all approved for us. Um, and with this, we have a lot of changes to uh, terminology. Um, there's a couple of new applications. Um, there's basically some you know, nomenclature that, that we, we needed to get addressed to make sure that both of those documents are going to line up. Creasy said the fees have been kept generally the same because there was not a lot of study about what they should be and that a more formal review will happen in the near future. The fees for NDS services are different from the fees charged for building permits. Council updated those fees on April 17, 2023, after getting an introduction on April 10, 2023. I've got a story for that. There's a link in the newsletter, as well as other materials for this public hearing. No one spoke during the public hearing. Did anybody know about it? I confess I did not put it in my week ahead for January 25th because when I wrote it up on Sunday, January 24th, the city's website only listed this as a budget development work session, which is customary, and I cannot recall a council public hearing ever happening on a Thursday. I could be wrong. But I let myself down by not reporting this in advance, and I feel I have let some of you down as well. 
Council adopted the new fee schedule for NDS. Next, Council had a public hearing on an amendment to the new development code on a provision that would have allowed retail under 4,000 square feet in Residential B and Residential C zones. Creasy said that was an oversight. You all as council um, at your work session in November 29th um, noted that uh, at this time and that you all were not interested in having uh, retail allowable in the residential areas. Um, so you all had clearly noted that and as part of our process of getting all of the corrections made that did not enter into the into the document. Before the public hearing was opened, Councillor Natalie Oshrin wanted to reconsider the idea. I know that this was voted on previously. Me and the audience watching this disagreed with the decision that Council made. So, I don't know what we'd do about that. Mayor Juan Diego Wade said Oshrin wasn't in the audience anymore and had the opportunity to have a vote. No one spoke during the public hearing. Again, I let you down by not telling you it would be happening. Councillor Lloyd Snook said the November 29 decision to strip commercial from residential areas put in motion a series of votes that led to the adoption of the development code. And for us to revisit substantively that question upsets, for at least, at least for me, upsets the balance that we thought we had struck. Snook suggested revisiting the idea the next time the comprehensive plan is reviewed. Councillor Brian Pinkston said he would support reviewing the policy sooner than that after there is some discussion of the economic impacts of such a change. City Councillor Michael Payne said he thought leaving retail in residential areas with a special use permit would be the right policy. I think allowing it only by special use permit was the significant compromise and that keeping it in would give us the most data to um, evaluate how to move forward over the next two plus years. Mayor Juan Diego Wade said he supported retail in residential as a special use permit, but he supported the compromise and voted to approve the amendment. There had been no formal vote at the November 29th, 2023 work session, but instead there was a straw poll. Oshrin abstained on the vote, but said she'd like to revisit the matter soon. Partly because it does take long to implement change, so the more we delay, the longer it will take. I think we can put our foot on the gas a little bit there. James Fries, the director of NDS, said there were other ways to address impacts of commercial businesses in residential areas. He said home-based businesses exist, and he would reevaluate how that process might be used to expand commercial uses. City manager Sam Sanders said a lot of work will need to be done to implement the new system under the development code as it is, and he would need time to come back with more information about the conversation about commercial. The vote was three to one on the amendment, with Payne voting against. The General Assembly session in Richmond is approaching the end of its fourth week, and unlike in previous years, I've not been paying as much attention. This morning, I thought it would be prudent to review some of what's happening. As this morning began, there were 2,089 bills and resolutions pending in both the House of Delegates and the Virginia Senate. As of this morning, delegates have passed 362 pieces of legislation compared with 297 in the Senate. I think that number is already out of date, and I'll have an update tomorrow. 
February 13th is crossover day, when those pieces of legislation will go to the other chamber. Another 182 items have been continued to the next session. Some of the bills that failed have simply been incorporated into other bills, such as District 55 Delegate Amy Lawfer's bill that sought to make it a misdemeanor for people to possess certain weapons and facilities that provide mental health or developmental services. HB 23 was incorporated into HB 861, carried by Delegate Phil Hernandez, which awaits a vote in the full House after passing out of the Committee on Public Safety by a 12 to 10 vote. The same thing happened to Delegate Katrina Carlson's HB 780, which sought to allow governing bodies of transit providers to recognize a union as a collective bargaining unit. The bill was incorporated into HB 1001 and was reported out of the Labor and Commerce Committee on a 12 to 10 vote. Many bills that have passed the House and the Senate reflect the thin margins held by the Democratic Party in both chambers. The following bills have all passed on a 51 to 49 vote, except where noted. HB 1 would increase the minimum wage to $13.50 an hour in 2025 and $15 an hour in 2026. HB 2 would prohibit large capacity ammunition feeding devices and assault rifles. HB 84 would compel a firm conducting exploratory work for mining to meet certain public notice requirements. That one passed 53 to 47. HB 183 would require those with firearms in residence with minors present to keep the weapons and their ammunition stored in a locked container. This would also extend to people who live with others who have been barred from possessing a firearm. HB 208 would allow localities to consider healthy community strategies in their comprehensive plans. That one passed 49 to 45. HB 456 would remove the state-mandated cap on salaries for members of city councils. 6431 was that vote. And HB 597 would allow localities to enforce the Virginia Residential Landlord and Tenant Act. 5345 in that case. Other bills have passed the House unanimously or close to it. HB 15 would increase to four the number of flashing lights that are allowed to be on a vehicle owned by a member of a volunteer fire company or volunteer emergency medical services agency. HB 25 would establish a retail sales and use tax holiday the weekend of August 1st, 2025. HB 66 would require public schools to conduct a fire drill within the first 10 days of a session. HB 71 would give an additional year for localities with combined sewer overflow systems to be compliant with Virginia and federal law, extending the deadline from July 1, 2025 to July 1, 2026. HB 81 would eliminate the common law crime of committing suicide. Actually, that one was 62 to 37 and probably should have been in the last set of bills. HB 128 would clarify that localities with bans on door-to-door solicitation cannot extend that ban to political activities. HB 100 would increase the civil penalty for child labor law violations from 10,000 to 25,000. HB 233 would reduce the threshold for Virginia Economic Development Partnership Authority grants for site development from 100 acres to 50 acres. HB 477 would extend the Eviction Diversion Pilot Program to July 1st of 2025. And finally, 
HB 517 would establish the European honeybee as the official state pollinator. I'll have more from the General Assembly in the next edition of the newsletter. listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. Come gather round, people, wherever you roam. WTJU's 2024 Folk Marathon is on the air through Sunday, February 11th, airing around-the-clock folk and root specials from around the globe. WTJU has gathered friends for a raft of musical deep dives, from Richard Thompson's soundman Simon Tassano to local favorite Michael Clem. From the Virginia Folklore Society recordings to a celebration of Kevin Don Levy's 25 years sharing Irish and old-time music, plus dozens of artist features and deep dives. Check out the full schedule at WTJU.net, and if you miss a show that you like, you can go back. you got two weeks to listen to it. But WTJU's sound techs have set up mics, so there are eight live performances this week in seven days. You can hear them after the fact. That's the Buzzard Hollow Boys, Terry Allard and Gary Green, Mama Tried, Barling and Collins, Uncle Henry's Favorite, and so much more. WTJU is here for you, and your donation makes the station available to everyone. Visit WTJU.net to give your support to the Folk Marathon! One more segment today, and I explained at the top that this is from the February 1st meeting. The most recent city council meeting was on February 5th, so I have to go back and listen to February 1st before February 5th can really happen. But regardless, more pieces are coming into place for Charlottesville's next budget, which will be presented to the city council on Tuesday, March 5th. City Manager Sam Sanders, during the meeting, said there is currently a gap between revenues and expenditures of between $3 million and $4 million in the draft document. There are what I would label and have labeled catastrophic measures that I have not taken off the table. Um, that would be what I would be willing to consider in prioritizing. Sanders made his comments in the middle of the budget work session on February 1st, when asked by City Councilor Michael Payne to estimate the current gap. Councillors also suggested what taxes they would be willing to raise if necessary. More on that in a moment. Councillors got the financial report for the second quarter of fiscal year 24 and also got a briefing on how preparations are going, including the recent assessment of real property values. Here is City Assessor Jeffrey Davis. For 2024, residential assessments increased uh, 5.6%. Uh, Commercial assessments increased 3.1%, and uh, that totals a 4.6% overall increase. Notices were mailed on January 30th, and anyone who wishes to dispute their assessment have until February 29th to make an appeal. Davis said the average assessment for a residential property in Charlottesville has increased to $486,300. Davis said his office uses something called a Computer-Assisted Mass Appraisal System, or CAMA, to conduct the assessment each year. 
we use sales reports as approximately 55 residential neighborhoods and 21 commercial neighborhoods. So we look at those neighborhoods individually each year and look to see what kind of sales have taken place within those neighborhoods. We compare those sales with the assessments and then make a determination where where do the assessments lie? Are they are they close to what the selling price was? Are they or the distance away? And then we move groups of properties at a, at a time rather than do individual appraisals. Charlottesville Mayor Juan Diego Wade asked what role reported delays with the post office might play in people receiving their notices. Davis said it has not been an issue, but he encouraged people to look online. Davis said that in 2022, there were 130 official appeals. That increased in 2023 to 345 appeals, 29 of which were later withdrawn. Uh, now, that's people that actually filed a formal administrative appeal rather than just calling on the phone or sending an email or anything like that. Uh, 173 were unchanged. 140 decreased. We, we, we made reductions in 140 of those, and we raised three of those. Davis spoke as part of the work session that's considered the official kickoff of council's role in the budget development process, with the Planning Commission having concluded their work with a public hearing on the Capital Improvement Program on January 9th. Council also got the first glimpse of staff's forecast for fiscal year 2025 and are anticipating an increase of $9.9 million in additional real property tax revenues, a $1.2 million increase in the meals tax revenues, and a $60,000 increase in revenue from the tax on plastic bags. Here are some other items of note just on revenues. Charlottesville will collect an additional $2 million from Albemarle County through the revenue sharing agreement for a projected total in 2024 of $17,760,728. Charlottesville anticipates over $400,000 less in revenue from Parks and Recreation. Payment in lieu of taxes from the Utilities Department and other sources is expected to increase by $541,637 to $7.3 million. And the city is anticipating decreases in the interest rates, so less revenue is anticipated in that category. Chrissy Hamill is the city's Budget and Performance Management Director. All in all, the total revenue, um, new money, if you will, that we will have to spend in the 25 budget um, is about $16.6 million, so roughly a 7.26% change. Hamill cautioned that those numbers might change over the next month as the budget presentation nears. But that figure gave council a sense of how much funding is available for new initiatives. Before council can get to whatever ideas they might have, there are several drivers, including a projected $10 million to $12 million for employee compensation related to the new classification and compensation study, as well as collective bargaining and the city paying for a higher share of health care costs. City schools are also requesting additional funds to make up reductions in state funding. There are also additional requests from nonprofit applications from what's known as the Vibrant Community Fund. So those three things, um, when you add them up, they certainly are exceeding what we have for um, new revenue. 
City manager Sam Sanders said council would have a tough decision ahead of them. With the significant expenditures that we have before us uh, and and a healthy increase uh, in revenue at 15 to 16 million dollars, under normal circumstances, we would have been celebrating. But because we have made big decisions in regards to employee compensation specifically, it comes with a very expensive price tag attached to it. Sanders said council may have to get to the point where they make cuts elsewhere in the budget. And he has not taken that off the table as he develops the budget. The budget as it currently exists only funds $6 million of the school board's $12 million request above whatever the formulas say. Sanders alluded to those catastrophic measures that uh, we heard about earlier. Decisions have already had to be made, and I have released a message to my lead team today so that they get this news as well. That's no new employees, no real new requests uh, outside of what we have been able to integrate into the CIP. Sanders said the classification and compensation study found out that the city was underpaying its employees. One of the reasons for turnover and vacant positions that have been partially responsible for annual surpluses. This is about how do you run an organization, manage an organization from a healthy stance. You've got to pay the people that you need to do the job. You've got to pay them what the market says it needs to be paid or they'll go elsewhere to do it. And if you want the performance to get better, this is also a way to achieve that. There's also the role that collective bargaining is playing in all of this. Sanders said there are currently three collective bargaining units and a fourth is forming. Mayor Juan Diego Wade summed up the decision facing the city. What I'm hearing, that we're going to have to find a way to reduce the current expenses or find new revenue sources, which, you know, we have only one or two tools for that. So Here's how much money would be raised by increases in each tax rate. Each additional penny on the real property tax rate would bring in an additional $1.1 million. A 1% increase in the meals tax rate would yield just over $3 million. Every additional penny on the personal property tax rate would yield $30,238. And every additional penny on the lodging tax rate would bring in just over a million. Hamill said the budget has to be balanced in-house this week in order to meet various deadlines for advertising, both the recommended budget and the eventual tax rates. Charlottesville increased the real property tax rate in 2023 by one penny to 96 cents per $100 of assessed value. The rate had been 95 cents since 2008 after several years of decreases made at the time to contend with growing property values in the mid-2000s as well as a Republican member of council. In 2003, the rate was $1.11, a figure it had been since at least 1995. Councillor Lloyd Snook said the reduction in the rate has led the city to the situation council currently faces. I thought that when we dropped our tax rate to 95 cents per hundred, we were underfunding our government. That we were not paying for maintenance, that we were not paying for uh, keeping our, our people well paid, that we were making fundamental mistakes. Snook said he would like first to see some budget cuts but he would support an increase in the real estate tax to $1 per $100 of assessed value. Councillor Brian Pinkston and Mayor Juan Diego Wade both said they would as well. Councillor Michael Payne said he is open to the idea of increasing the real property tax rate as long as relief programs continue to be augmented. But I would say we should seriously 
perhaps even before looking to the real estate tax, uh, look at the um, the lodging tax um, because I think. I think we have very strong tourism fundamentals in terms of UVA, adjacent wineries, Monticello. And I think if, you know, that tax, I don't want to minimize it, but it's going to be going to disproportionately people of means not living here who are coming in to visit. Councillor Natalie Oshrin said she needed more information about scenarios. I'm not gung-ho about raising any of these taxes because especially the real estate tax. So I am still interested in in diving deeper into the expenditure side of things as well. Based on this conversation, council did not appear to have any interest in increasing the meals tax or the personal property tax at this time in this year. Sanders said he will do what he can to recommend cuts to avoid the tax rate, but said council's meeting with the school board on February 8th to discuss their full request could be interesting because, remember, they wanted an additional $12 million. Sanders, at this time, is only offering an additional $6 million. Councillor Lloyd Snook said he couldn't even talk about any of that until he had information directly from the school board rather than emails that he'd been sent by people who had been at meetings that he had not. This item did come back up at council's meeting on Monday. I have not written that up yet. I will have that information out as soon as possible, hopefully before February 8th. But we're at the end of number 633. Can a report on something that happened five days ago still be called news? What if no one else has written about it? Two of the segments in today's edition appear to have fit that bill. Are there other information outlets that have written about this or would have written as much? Is this worth doing? Hundreds of you say yes, and you're paying for me to keep building Town Crier Productions into whatever it ends up becoming. This is all built on the assumption and hope that I'll be able to add personnel and train more people to be able to keep an eye on local government in a way that aspires to be accessible and tries to avoid the trivial. Ting will match your initial subscription payment through Substack, whether that be at the $5 a month level, $50 a year level, or $200 a year level. The $200 level gets shout outs, as does the $25 a month through Patreon. If you have questions, drop me a line. And thank you. Back tomorrow or the next day or who knows. Bye bye.